Well, I have to admit that I am not the most fashionable guy. Um, I rarely buy clothes, and most of the clothes that I have that are maybe a little bit more fashionable were given to me either by my wife, Rochelle, or her parents, uh, who are very fashionable, much more fashionable than I am. Um, and, uh, and, you know, back when I was um, an associate pastor of a church in Queens, New York City, back when um, Rochelle and I were dating, um, my lack of fashion became quite obvious. Uh, there were a lot of people in that church who were actually in their 20s and 30s, and many who lived in Manhattan, and some who actually even worked for the fashion industry. And, uh, and I usually led the, the worship service each Sunday, so I was up front and kind of visible to the congregation week after week. And most of the clothes that I wore um, were ones I had owned for a long time, some of them even back when I was in high school. Um, a lot of them were kind of baggy on me. And, uh, and so about a year after I started serving this church, uh, a few people came up to me afterwards after the service and said, and asked if they could take me shopping for some new clothes. And they said that they would actually pay for them even. Um, they knew that I did not uh, personally care that much about the clothes that I wore, but they wanted to do this for me. Uh, probably partly so that I didn't look like an outdated slob up, up front on Sundays, um, but also I think that they wanted to do something as a way to show their appreciation for me. Um, and no, I am not asking or, in, or hoping anybody does that here in our church, just, just so you know that. Um, you know, at that time, though, I, I probably needed some new clothes, and uh, they were pretty adamant about it, so I, I agreed to it. I mean, free clothes, right? Um, but there was a catch. The catch was that I had to get rid of my old clothes so that I wouldn't wear them anymore. <laughs> and so one Saturday, a couple of them uh, went through my closet and took out all those old, outdated, baggy clothes that I've been wearing for years and years, bagged them up, and then took me on a shopping spree for some new clothes. Um, it was a pretty strange experience, I have to say. Um, but at the end of it, I got some pretty nice clothes that I actually ended up wearing for those next few years. Um, I, I really made good use of, of, of those clothes that were, were given to me. Well, in our, our text this morning, Paul uses the, the language and the image of taking off the old self, kind of our old clothes, and putting on the new self. Uh, putting on some new clothes. Um, at one point, he actually, even in this passage, says, clothe yourselves with uh, the new self. And so I'm going to kind of use this image of, of, of old and new clothes, taking off the old and putting on the new in my, in my sermon today. And my sermon title uh, today is New Clothes. Um, we're going to look at what Paul says about taking off sort of the old clothes of our old selves and, and what it means to put on the new clothes that we've been given in Christ. Uh, we've been going through a, a sermon series called Centered in Christ as we've been going through the book of Colossians, the, the letter that the, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in the city of Colossae. And uh, we've seen how Paul has reminded the believers throughout this letter that who they are is all centered in Christ. And he's encouraging them to keep Christ at the center in their lives and in their life as a church. And in today we're going to be looking at, at, at how being centered in Christ leads to a new kind of life. How being centered in Christ actually has ramifications for how we live. And it reflects, again, the, the image that Paul is using here, the new clothes that we've been given in Christ. as We put on those and live into them. So today our text is Colossians chapter 3. Uh, verses 1 through 17, which is on page 834 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. 
Um, So Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, There is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for uh, your word, uh, the word of Christ that you you tell us to, to let it dwell in us richly in this passage. And so we pray that as we study together now, Lord, that that it would just, you, would, you would dwell in us, that your word would dwell in us, Lord, that it would go deep into our hearts, Lord, uh, that as we hear about what you have done for us and what you're calling us into or the life you're giving us um, in Christ, that uh, we would, would run to it, Lord. We would be excited to live into these new clothes that you have given to us. And so uh, give us ears to hear and hearts that are receptive now to your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this passage is full of commands or imperatives is sort of the grammatical uh, term. Um, You know, some of those that that Paul says here, set your hearts and minds, uh, put to death, rid yourselves, clothe yourselves, among many, many others. And so there's a lot of imperatives, a lot of of commands that are in this passage. And and we see in this passage, it's pretty evenly divided with, with certain commands that are talking about Removing the old self, right? Avoiding, don't, don't do these, do, don't be like this. But then other ones that say, put on the new self, right? Do these things, be like this. But before we get to those commands, um, which we're going to get to, we need to first understand 
What is the basis for them? What are those commands grounded in? Because in the Bible, God's imperatives uh, or commands are always based on indicatives. Uh, another grammatical term, which is talking about what is, what is true. Um, and, and so we're going we're gonna to see that what Paul says, do these things, all those do these things, all these commands are all grounded in what Christ has done for you, who you are in Christ. So let's start with the basis for our clothing change, <laughs> the basis for this taking off the old and putting on the new. What is the basis of it? What, where is it grounded in? Where, where does that come from? Well, in verse 1, Paul says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Do you see what he's doing there? Right? He's saying, because this is true, right? Because you have been raised with Christ, Therefore, set your hearts on things above, right? In, in, a little bit later in verse three, he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, right? So he's saying, this is what's true of you. This is what God has done for you. And he reminds them of this before he then tells them how they are to live. So Paul bases the commands in this chapter on what Jesus has done for them what he's done for the Colossians, what he's done for us. And the language that he uses, particularly in these opening verses, is the language of death and resurrection to talk about what has happened to the Colossians. He says that, that they have died with Christ, right? You died, he says. And then he says that you have been raised with Christ and that now their lives are hidden where? In Christ, right? With Christ in God, right? So again, it's all about Christ, right? You've died with Christ. You've been raised with Christ. And you are now, your lives are now hidden in Christ. Now, if this language sounds at all familiar, it's because Paul has been using this kind of language throughout chapters 1 and 2. Uh, in many ways, chapters 1 and 2 are all of the indicatives, the grounding of what Paul then says in chapters 3 and onward. He's been talking about what God, what Christ has done for the Colossians and also what he's done for us. And so just to remind us of that, Paul talked about how the Colossians, what their lives used to be. Right? He says that you were alienated from God. You were enemies of God. You were under the dominion of darkness, that they were dead in their sins. That, that last week we saw that the law, the, the written code was against them. And, and guess what? All of that is true for us too, right? That that's where we start our lives, right? We are in the dominion of darkness, enemies of God. But God, right? But Christ changed all of that. Paul reminds them that, that, that Jesus reconciled them back to God. He restored that broken relationship. That Christ rescued them from the dominion of darkness and brought them into the kingdom of the sun, right? The kingdom of light. Um, he canceled the written code that was against them. And he made them alive again. And time and time again, what Paul is reminding the Colossians and reminding us of is that Jesus did all of that through his death on the cross, through his death and resurrection, that Jesus removed the sin that was in the way and he took it upon himself, that he paid for that sin when he died on the cross in our place. And so Paul says that we also died with Christ, that, that actually our sinful old selves died with him, right? He paid for that. He, so, so that old self, it died with Christ. 
And then when Jesus rose from the dead, what happened? We also rose with him. Right? He ro- he, as he rose from the dead, he rose to give us life. Um, and now, Paul says, our lives are now tied to Christ's life. Right? Christ, uh, again, he says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is now. It's in Christ. Um, it's not your own. In verse 4, he even says, Christ, who is your life? That now Christ himself is our life. Right? That he is our life. Um, earlier in the letter, Paul talked about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Right? So all of our li- all of this is, 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 what we, is what Paul is telling us. This is all of what Christ has done for you. Right? This is what you have been given in Jesus Christ. And, and, and again, as we've been talking over the last few weeks, if you have received Jesus Christ as Lord, if you have believed in him and put your trust in him, then Paul says all of this is yours. It is yours, Right? For just as we've received Christ Jesus, now continue to live in him. We saw that in, in chapter 2. And so um, in the language of the scripture reading that, that Irene read earlier from Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says, He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. That this is what we have been given in Christ. That Jesus took all of our sinful, dirty, old clothes on himself He paid for them, and now he clothes us with his clean, pure, new clothes. And that is how God sees us in Christ. He sees us arrayed with a robe of righteousness. Whose righteousness is it? It's Jesus' righteousness, right? It's Christ's righteousness. That is what he sees. He sees Jesus when he looks at us. So all of this is the basis of, for what Paul tells the Colossians to do here in chapter 3. So again, going back to verse 1, he says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ, right? Since God has done all this for you in Christ, now set your hearts on things above. You know, in, in other words, because Christ has done all this for you, now guess what, brothers and sisters? This is how you are to live in that reality, right? If Christ is your life, then he wants to tell us how do we live in that way with Christ as our life. He says, this is who you are. So be who you are, right? Live into the things that you have been given in Christ. During my, um, my freshman year of college, um, I decided to try out for um, an all-male choir, an all-male choir of 60 guys that was called the Glee Club. And, uh, and, and the Glee Club had a, a very long and rich history um, in my school, and, and, and I thought it would be really cool to be a part of that history. And so you know, I had a couple of rounds of auditions to, to see if I was going to get into, into this all-male choir. Um, and one night, as I was kind of waiting, you know, doing some homework, there was a knock at my dorm room door. And two guys who were dressed in tuxedos uh, told me to come with them. And they led me down the hall. They opened the door outside, and, and as they opened the door, there was this group of guys in tuxes, kind of like this picture, and they suddenly burst out into song, and with this triumphant chorus in Latin that had my name in it. <laughs> um, and what they were doing was they were telling me I was in. I was a part of the Glee Club. They were singing me in to this group. But that was just the beginning. Right, over the next several weeks, I and the other new members, we had to learn what it was to be a part of this chorus. 
Um, so we had to learn how to sing in line with the unique sound of the glee club through hours and hours of rehearsal. And we learned some of the quirky traditions and lingo of the group. You know, that was kind of the insider language. We kind of had to learn those things. And then we got our own tuxedos that we were able to, to wear uh, at our first concert. Um, and then next, the next year, we got to sing in the new members. We got to go out and be the ones that were in those tuxes singing in the new members who were coming. You know, I became a member of the group the moment those guys knocked on the door and invited me to come out and, and hear that song. But it was a process to actually live into that reality, right? To actually be a part of this choir, to learn what it was to be a member of this choir. And the same is true for us as believers in Christ. We receive Christ's new clothes the moment we believe, which is what the Bible talks about as justification. It is an instantaneous act, right? We believe in Christ and we are justified. We are clothed with Christ's righteousness. God sees us now as, as Christ. But it's a process to live into that reality, to learn how to wear these new clothes and how to leave behind the old ones that were ours. That's the, the, what the Bible calls sanctification, right? It is a process of God working in us to make us more and more holy. But the basis for that process is the fact that we have been given the new clothes in Christ, that we have been forgiven, that we have been justified, that our lives are now tied to Christ's life. So that is the first and primary step, right? We can't live into this unless we've actually received it. And it's actually ours, right? It's what Christ has done for us that becomes the grounding for how we are to live. And we're going to see how actually being centered again on what Christ has done actually makes all the difference for how we live. So let's, let's look at, at these two other commands that, that Paul gives us. It's because that they've died and raised with Christ. The first thing Paul focuses on is how they are to get rid of the old clothes, Right? Just like those uh, friends from my church in Queens that bagged up all those old clothes. That, you know, you're not wearing these anymore. Right? You're, you're, we're taking them away from you as you wear these new clothes. The same way Paul says that we have some old clothes that we are no longer supposed to wear. Right? They're old, our old selves. Um, Paul gives two lists of some of these old clothes that the Colossians, he says that you used to be like this. Right? You used to wear these clothes. Um, in verse 5, we see that first list. And, and he lists five things there in, in verse 5. He, he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, uh, which he says that is idolatry. Um, so that's one list of what he says. These are some old clothes about how you used to, to live. And then in verse 8, he gives another list of five things uh, where he says anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. And if you notice that, that there's kind of a, these two different lists there, uh, the first list and verse five are kind of focused around the area specifically around kind of sexual sin, um, lust and, and impurity and d evil desires. And then that second list are focused more on sort of anger and rage and, and using our words hurtfully, right? So there's kind of two areas that, that Paul is specifically um, bringing out here in terms of these old clothes. And if you notice that in both of those lists, there are some items that refer to sinful actions, um, you know, things that you do or say, like sexual immorality in that first list, like slander or filthy language in the second list. There's things that we do. There's things that we speak. But he also lists some things that are internal, 
things that are not necessarily actions, but they are they're, they're, they're sins in our thoughts, sins in our desires. So he, he talks about lust and evil desires in the first list. That's something that's happening inside of us, right? Um, in the second one, he talks about anger. Anger can be expressed in action, but it starts in our hearts, right? It starts as an internal thing. So the old clothes of your old sinful nature, they both consist of sinful actions and words, but it also has sinful thoughts and desires, right? All these things are part of our old nature. Um, and the thing is that it's often our sinful thoughts and desires that lead to our sinful actions, our sinful words, right? It often starts in the heart, starts in our, our minds. Well, Paul understands that there's even a deeper cause to these sinful actions and, he, and even the sinful thoughts and desires. And, and we see this kind of a, a clue of this at the end of verse 5, where Paul um, identifies, he says, greed, which is idolatry. Now, the Greek word that's translated greed here, um, it means an inappropriate and uncontrolled desire for more. Um, you know, we often use that word greed to talk specifically about the desire for more money or the desire for more material possessions, right? That's often how we use that. But the Greek word in the original language is, is actually a broader term that can mean any sort of inappropriate, uncontrolled desire, right? Wanting more, wanting something more than we, than, you know, again, that could apply to, to sexual desire, could apply to material desire for more. And what Paul identifies that, that desire for more, right? is, he says, it is idolatry. That's the heart of it, right? What is idolatry? It is worshiping something or someone other than God, right? Over God, putting something above God. And so when, he's saying that when you have an uncontrolled and, and, and just inappropriate desire for something, what are you doing? You're actually turning that thing into an idol, you're actually worshiping that thing that you're wanting more and more of, which again, could be money, it could be sex, it could be power, right? And, and so really what, what, the, what, this, what this kind of um, highlights for us is that this desire for more, this desire and idolatry is actually the root of sin. It is the root of a lot of these things on this list that Paul talks about. It's what it's behind our old clothes, attitudes, and actions, that we have these, these desires, for certain things, like we have a desire for approval or security or success or power, influence, intimacy. But when we try to fill those desires and longings through our own attempts, through looking to various things in the world rather than to God, it turns these things into idols. And it leads to the sinful desires and thoughts and words and actions that Paul lists. And, and the key here, too, is that all these things they're ultimately centered in ourselves. It's the self that is really the one that we're worshiping, right? That we're putting ahead of God as we think about our, our desires. So kind of to give an example of this, let's say that you have a desire for approval from people. You really want people to like you. You really want people to approve of you to, so that you can feel uh, valued and important. And, and let's say that you particularly look for approval in your job. Right? The things that you're doing day to day, you really um, want people to recognize how good of a, jo a job you're doing. Um, you, know, you crave their affirmation. You crave their respect. But there's one coworker who won't do it. 
who won't approve of you. There's one coworker who, who criticizes your work constantly and, and who shows you disrespect and, and clearly does not like you. And so you, because you're craving this approval, right? What does it do? It begins to produce anger in your heart. You begin to feel anger toward that coworker because you need his approval and he's not giving you the approval that you're wanting, right? And, and so the anger is actually rooted in this idol in your heart of approval. And, and then let's say that, that that coworker continues to disrespect you and And so that anger is just growing. And one time you lash out at them, right? With your words, you you yell at them. What's that? Rage and malice, right? Where is it coming from? It's coming from the anger that's rooted in this idol of approval. I need the approval. I'm not getting it. I get angry and and then rage comes out, malice comes out. And then you start talking negatively about that coworker to other people, right? Because you don't like them. What's that? Slander, right? We start, so you see how all these, these, these lists, right, of, of what Paul is talking about here, they're often rooted in an idol and something in our heart that, that we're putting there above God. Um, so that list, right, it ultimately has its root in idolatry and looking to something other than God for fulfillment. And the same thing is true of that, that second list, those, those things about sexual sins, right? Oftentimes what's behind that? Lust comes from putting sexual desire or physical pleasure above God, right? We feel like we need that and, and we're desiring it. And so it leads us to, to look for it in places that are they're not where God calls us to look for it. And also, again, in both of those cases, where, where, what's it all about? It's all about me. It's all about serving myself, right? Gratifying myself, my desires. I need approval. I need this and that. And so it leads us to, to these sinful actions. So what does Paul say? about this list of old clothes. Well, in verse five, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And in verse eight, he says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. He uses strong language here. He doesn't just say, try to avoid it if possible. (laughs) He says, put it to death. Rid yourselves of it. Now, how do, you, how do you do that? How do you put it to death? How do you rid yourself? Well, you don't put these things to death by just trying really hard not to do it. By just saying, you know, I'm, I'm really going to try my best to not get angry. I'm really going to try my best not to lust. Because maybe you'll be able to do that for a little while. But that's not putting it to death. Um, eventually, you're going to get angry. Eventually, you're going to start lusting because here's why. You're not dealing with the root of the problem. How do you put it to death? You need to cut off the root. You need to kill it from the ground up, right? You're also not going to put these things to death by just making rules to try to avoid it, right? So you, you want to stop lusting, so you decide, I'm going to make these rules you know, about I'm not going to dance or I'm not going to go see certain movies and I'm and that, those could be okay things but guess what those rules they're not going to cut off the root either that's exactly what Paul was talking about last week in last week's passage right where where he was speaking against this tendency to just sort of say it's all about making certain rules to, to, to control our behavior um, at the end of, of last chapter chapter 2 Paul says in verse 23 such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom 
with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So just simply making rules and regulations to try to protect us against these sinful behaviors might not be a bad thing, but it's not going to put it to death. Again, you're not dealing with the root of the problem. So how do you deal with the root of the problem? The root idolatry that's so often behind our sin, the root desires, the root self-centeredness that drives our sinful thoughts and words and actions. How do you put them to death? Well, I believe that Paul says here that the answer to putting it to death is the gospel. It is the gospel that actually will put it to death. It is focusing on the gospel, on what Christ has done for us, that will actually free us from living in our old clothes kind of ways. That when we truly believe and have received the gospel and and we really understand it, it kills the root of idolatry. So how is that? Well, let me give you an example. Going back to that example I said earlier about, let's say you have that longing for approval, right? You really want people to approve of you. And that can lead to these sinful, right? It leads to anger. It leads to, to slander when people aren't giving you the approval. Well, what does the gospel say? The gospel says that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, God approves of you completely. You have all the approval that you need. From who? From Jesus, from Christ, right? He has has given you all the approval that you need. And that approval, guess what? It's not based on what you do. It's not based on how well you're keeping the rules. It's, It's not based on how well you think that you're doing in your job. His approval comes from Christ and what Christ has done for you, right? It's not even based on how well you do at keeping, taking the old clothes off and putting on the new clothes, right? His approval of you, it's, it's based on what Christ has done for you, that he fulfilled the law for you. He paid for your sins. And so you are acceptable to God in Christ. And so what the gospel says is that your approval and value is secure in Christ, no matter what other people may say about you, no matter what that other coworker says about you, guess what? Your approval is secure because it's based in Christ. And so when you truly understand and believe that truth, right? when it seeks deep into your heart, guess what it does? It frees you from seeking after approval from other people because your approval is secure in Christ. And so when your coworker doesn't approve of your work or, or shows you disrespect, it doesn't bother you in the same way. Because your approval is in Christ. You don't need their approval anymore. And you don't need to respond in anger to their disrespect or or slander them because your approval comes from Christ, not from them. So the gospel is what actually puts to death these sinful desires and actions. It frees us. The gospel frees us from focusing on ourselves and trying to meet our desires in our own way because where the gospel says, you've already been given it all in Christ. So you can rest in that, right? And so that's why Paul says in verse two, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, right? Where should we focus our minds? On things above, on Christ and what he's done for us on who he is, on the gospel. That will put to death 
the root of idolatry and the selfishness that leads to the sins that Paul mentions here. It will free us from living in our old clothes ways. Now, there will be times where we are going to need to take action, right, and say, I'm cutting off this sin, right? There's an active part of this, but I believe that the the heart of it, right, where the motivation comes, where the power comes to, to kill those things, it comes from resting in the gospel. It comes from resting in what Christ has done for us. And the same thing is true of the, of the next side, the flip side, where Paul then talks about putting on the new clothes. Because it says it's not enough just to take off the old clothes, the old sinful clothes, but actually to put on the new clothes of our identity in Christ. But here's the interesting thing. When Paul talks about these new clothes, this, this, this new quality, he talks about them not as sort of individual clothes that are, that are again, focused on just me. You know, I'm like this. But he actually talks about them as, as a collective clothing. He, he talks about that you are given as a, a body, as believers in Christ. Um, they represent a collective communal identity, corporate identity. We see that in verse 12 where Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. See what he's doing there? He's addressing them as a body, right? as a community. You are God's chosen people. Uh, he says they're, they're, that's their, what their identity is. Their identity is rooted not just as, as individuals, but it's rooted actually as, as, a, as a community. Later in verse 15, he talks about being members of one body. You are members. We are individuals, but we are, we're not called to be put on these clothes just individually. We're called to put them on as a body, as, as, a, as a, a corporate um, believer in Christ. Uh, here's just a little story that kind of illustrates this. When I was in, in middle school, I decided to join the cross-country team in, in my school. And here's a, an embarrassing picture of me in middle school here. Um, I was a, a pretty fast runner, um, and I wanted to be on a sports team. And so I, I signed up for the cross-country team. And I remember when I first got what I'm wearing there, my, my Stimson Middle School uh, sweatshirt and sweatpants and shorts and shirt. And, and I was humbled to think about the fact that, that these uniforms right, that I was being given to wear, it, it, was, it was something that people, students had worn before me and it was things that students were gonna be wearing um, ahead of me. And I was wearing them as a member of this team, right? I was no longer just Andy, but I was a member of the Stimson Middle School cross country team. And I was wearing these, these, these new clothes, these new track um, sweatshirts as, as, a, as a corporate identity along with my fellow uh, runners. And, and, and what that did was, as I put on that uniform, it pointed us away from just our individual selves to our team identity and how we also related to each other as a team. Well, the same thing goes for the new clothes that Paul describes here, that the characteristics of these clothes, they're all about how we are together as a body. We're not just individuals. We we are individuals in Christ. We've been given that, but we are now brought into a broader body of Christ. Um, And and that points us away from just ourselves. Remember, what are all those old clothes about? They're all about focusing on me, right? my anger and my sexual desire. And, and so the new clothes are about focusing us beyond ourselves, right? To others, to Christ, but also to others in our body. Where do we see that? Well, 
one of the things that Paul says in verse 11 about this new identity that we've been given, the new clothes, he talks about how this new identity, it's not divided by ethnicity or social status or any other human division. He says in, in verse 11, here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so part of the new clothes that we put on is that, that it's, it's not about my individual identity in this particular racial group or, or socioeconomic group. Or, right? We've been given now a new identity that is over all of those other things. Our identity now is we are in Christ. We are followers of Christ. We are in the body of Christ. And, and all those things, right, they're, they're still part of who we are, but they are secondary to who we are, to what our identity is in Christ. Um, in, in verse 12, Paul gives another list guess what, of five characteristics, just like he gave those two lists of, of five, lists of five in, in the old clothes. Here in verse 12, he says that these are your new clothes, right? These are what you're to clothe yourselves with. And guess what? All five of them, they're all about how we relate to other people. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And all those qualities, they're all, they all flesh out in relationship to other people, right? Are we compassionate? Are we kind? Are we, are we being humble in relation to others, right? Um, and so that the new clothes, he says, that we've been given, we're, they're clothes that we are to wear as a community, that we are to wear as a body. And we actually live out these new clothes in relationship, in relationship to each other. Again, remember, those old clothes, where are they focused? They're all focused on me, Right? The new clothes are focused not on myself. They're focused on others, right? They're focused on how I'm to live. We see that really clearly in verse 13, where he says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. What's that all about? It's how we relate to each other in the body, right? To bear with each other, to forgive each other, no longer with anger and rage and slander, but now with compassion, now with forgiveness. And in verse 14, he says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The heart of what our new clothes are in Christ is to be shown where? In love, right? In love, in love for each other, in love for the people around us. So how do we embrace this new collective identity? How do we put on the new clothes? Well, similar to getting rid of the old clothes, it's not about trying harder. It's not about just saying, I, I need to be more compassionate. I need to be more patient. I need to try to forgive people more than I am. Because if we're relying on my strength and my motivation, it's not going to get very far. And it's also, again, not about making certain rules to, to try to ensure these behaviors. Saying, you know, I, I, I've got to make this rule to, to behave this certain way. Just like with taking off the old self, the thing that motivates and empowers us to put on the new clothes, guess what? It's the gospel. It's Christ, again. The gospel is what motivates and empowers us to put on the new clothes that we have in Christ. When we have received the gospel and truly understand it, it will naturally lead us to form this collective identity. What does the gospel say? That Christ has forgiven all my sins. And he's forgiven even the sins of my brothers and sisters. And so when someone wrongs me, I'm now able to forgive them. Why? Because Christ forgave me. And I know that Christ paid for their sins as well. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 13. 
Forgive. Why? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Where is our forgiveness grounded in? It's grounded in the gospel. It's in the fact that God has forgiven you. The gospel says that we're all sinners. That Christ has saved us regardless of our ethnicity and social status. And so that truth allows us to live into this reality that Paul says where we are united even in our differences. That we bear with each other rather than being divided. And because I have been given everything in Christ, I no longer need to focus on myself. But I'm actually free now to focus on others. To love. Why? Because Christ loved me first. That's where our love comes from. Right? It comes from what Christ has done for us. Now, the problem with this is that it's very easy to lose sight of the gospel. That it can be very easy to go back to our old clothes, our old idols, our old ways of meeting our desires. And so that is why Paul says at the very beginning, again, verses 1 and 2, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. That is where we're going to be able to live into this new reality. We set, when we set our minds and our hearts on Christ, on the gospel, and what Jesus has done for us, that will free us from those old clothes and lead us into wearing our new collective identity that we've been given in Christ. Now, at the very end of the passage, Paul gives some very practical ways to keep Christ and the gospel at the forefront of our minds. How do we set our minds on things above? Well, he says in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. If we do that, it's going to help us keep the gospel at the center. It's going to help us keep Christ at the center, right? If, if we have the word of Christ dwelling in us, if we're reading God's word regularly, meditating on it, internalizing the gospel, he tells us to teach and admonish one another, right? To do it to, with each other. Again, to, to, what is it about? It's about how we relate to each other, right? Reminding each other of the truths of the gospel, correcting each other when we see us dr drifting away from the gospel into those old ways of satisfying those desires and longings. And finally, he says, sing some songs, Sing some psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as you gather. Where, where do we do that? When we gather as a body, right? As we gather as a collective body of Christ. As we sing songs of what Christ has done for us. As we rejoice in the gospel um, through, through singing that he says then leads to gratitude. And so all these things help us to do that. With what Paul says there in verse 10, that we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. We need to be continually renewed in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of the gospel. Um, it's not a one-time thing, right? It needs to be a process. We're continually being renewed. And it won't be finished until Christ returns. And that's where verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, when's that going to happen? When he returns. And then guess what happens? Then you will appear with him in glory. That one day, we won't need to take off the old clothes anymore. It will be all gone. All we will have is the new clothes that we have been given in Christ that we will wear for all of eternity. Amen. Praise God for that, right? So, so just a closing question for you to consider. What clothes are you wearing? <laughs> are you wearing the old clothes? 
Is your life characterized more by those, those lists in verse 5 and verse 8? Are you being controlled by, by kind of these desires and longings that are leading you to things other than, than Christ? Are you focused on yourself? And, and guess what? All of us could probably say, yeah, we're there oftentimes, right? Sometimes we're wearing those old clothes that, that he says, get rid of them. And so if that's you today, you have an opportunity to come to Christ again and say, Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for putting on those old clothes that, that I don't need anymore. You've taken them. You paid for them in full, right? Forgive me. Take them off, Lord. And, and it's an opportunity for you to do, as Paul says, to set your mind on things above. To not think about the old clothes, but to think about Christ and what he's done for you. The fact that he's forgiven you all of that. And invite him just to, to show you how much he loves you that will fill you with, with a realization that all those longings that often lead us to the old clothes behaviors, they're all satisfied in Christ. And so we can just focus on him. And for us as a church community, my invitation for us together is let's together be centered on Christ as a church body, that we are centered in the gospel and that our church would look more and more like this collective identity that Paul talks about here, that we would look as a community as, as, as these qualities that we see in our collective life. And brothers and sisters, I'm so encouraged that I see that in our body, right? God doing that, working in us, wearing those new clothes in relation to each other. We're never going to get there fully until Christ returns. But as we gather under the word and encourage and challenge each other and sing songs of praise together, we're going to be more and more shaped into those new clothes that we've been given in Christ. That he's given to us through his death and resurrection. And so I just want to read those last verses to you one more time. And hear this, Emmanuel Lutheran Church. This is for you and for me. Brothers and sisters of Emmanuel, since then, you have been raised with Christ. That is you. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Not on these other things that keep saying, you need this, you need that. No, no, no. For you died. You died in Christ. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That is where you are. That is who you are. And so when Christ, who is your life, appears, one day when he comes, then you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. What a day that will be. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. For all that we've been given in Christ, for the new clothes you've clothed us with, help us to live into who we are, into what you have done for us. Take off the old, put it to death, to put on the new, to walk boldly in those new clothes, and that you'd grow us and stretch us and move us more and more as a community to live like this until you come again, where we will have those new clothes forever and ever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.